Welcome to Our Stories Matter. I'm Sam Lasalde. And I'm Susie Hess. Our Stories Matter is hosted by Trauma Informed LA and the amazing music by Torrance Brandon Reese, founding member of the music group Street Corner Renaissance. Our Stories Matter at Locals Only acknowledges the Gabrielino and Tongva peoples as the traditional land caretakers of Towangar, the Los Angeles Basin and Southern Channel Islands. We pay our respects to the Honugvetam, our ancestors. Ahihirom, our elders, and Eohinkem, our relatives and relations, past, present, and emerging. So I'm super excited to be here and to introduce Yehuda Price. Yehuda Price was arrested in 2002 at the age of 19 and sentenced to 24 years in prison for a nonviolent robbery. He is currently on parole after being released from prison early in October of 2018. Since his time of release, he has earned a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology and is in his last semester of his MSW program at USC Suzanne Dork Peck School of Social Work. Yehuda is currently the chair of the USC Student Interest Group Unchained Scholars, a psychotherapist intern at Batsheva Residential Addiction Treatment Center, and an ICMS program manager providing services for community members in South LA who are experiencing chronic homelessness and high acuity mental health challenges. He completed an Orthodox Jewish conversion program and considers faith an integral part of his social work. And I also, before we jump in, I also wanted to thank the Jewish Caucus of USC Suzanne Dork Peck School of Social Work for sponsoring Yehuda's episode. So welcome, Yehuda. Good to be here. Thank you for providing me this space. You always provide spaces for me that I didn't even know existed, but I usually appreciate it after the fact. So thank you. Susie's awesome that way with, with spaces. Yeah. And all. Yeah, I mean, you're an incredible human being, obviously, and just that short amount of information is pretty incredible, thinking you just came home in 2018, October 2018, right now, it's October 2020, two years. It'll be an anniversary of sorts, right? Whoa, yeah. wait, when's your anniversary date? The 22nd. Whoa, so 20 days, it'll be two years, and you've completed a BA, and you're almost done with your MSW program. Yep, yep. Badass. Yeah, he, he is. And I have to say, this is one more thing, is that, and I tell him this, at USC, he is definitely one of the strongest writers, if not the strongest writer I have ever read. And I've been at USC since 2011. Wow. So yeah, when I started reading a lot of his work, I was like, what? I mean, this is, it's pretty amazing. Thank you. You can't see me, but I'm blushing, right? I don't know if you can see me. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate just freedom, right? And so when you're free and, because if you could imagine being like trapped in like a six by eight cell and all the hopes and aspirations that you have, you can't do anything about it, right? You could have just 
think about it and maybe talk about it. But to be able to actualize that, I feel like I was on an extended state funded vacation. And so now it's time to get to work. I love that. That's an awesome way of putting it, man. Unfortunately, you know, a bunch of my buddies, they're on their vacation. They come out here and they stay on vacation. I hear that. Yeah, man. Crazy proud of what you're doing. I want to dive right in. Um, Can you describe your work related to faith and healing? Faith is what is at the the core of anything I do because it's at the core of who I am, right? And I think it starts off with a relationship with the source of all being. And we don't have to get really into theological abstractions of what that is, right? But it's kind of, if you can connect with these values, these values that you believe is like objective and related to meaning and purpose and how that connects to you, you with not only the source, but then with other people, right? Because you extend that out, but it starts with that, that relationship with that. And so actually in my particular job itself, I, no, I would say in my internship is when I actually get to put it into full, full use, right? So it's a, Beit Shuva is a residential addiction treatment center. The center is Jewish of everything it does. It's 12 steps mixed with faith recovery, to give you some background, my uh, the founder and, and my direct clinical supervisor is an LCSW, a licensed clinical social worker. And she got her start by going into prisons to help Jewish inmates, you know, connect them, get them ready for parole and transition to halfway housing. And she ended up, you know, starting a halfway house. And what happens is one of those people who paroled went there and eventually became a rabbi in that process they got married. And so this is the foundation of Betshuva. They have an alternative sentencing program, lifers parole directly to it. And so now I get to be a psychotherapist. Uh, I get to interact with the people there. And it's unique in that every person there gets a substance abuse counselor or addiction counselor, a spiritual therapist, which is usually a rabbi, and then a, a psychotherapist. So we work as a team. So I actually get to utilize they have Torah study sessions. And when you see, when we speak of Torah study sessions, it's not, I think a lot of people, when they think of religion, they think about all this dogma and all this, these concepts that you have to believe in order to connect with the source of all being. But it, what it does is, is orients people in the same manner to connect with these values and how they look at themselves and how they look at the world. And so I get to do that within this background, this framework, and we all have the same reference point. It's a harder when you're talking about in to connect people when there's not the same reference point. So with the same reference points, I'm able to look at our tradition, our heritage, and see how it relates to them, how they find meaning and purpose within that heritage, within that culture. I, like I think we all do to a certain extent, whether we're religious or not. And so I've been able to utilize that. And so it's been awesome. It's been amazing. And I would say that just because I'm in a, it's a Jewish residential addiction treatment center, the majority of Jews are not religious. So we got we, we also got to look at it. It's not a simply a matter of faith or dogma or to that nature, but it's also this communal aspect of faith that you don't have to accept everything because we're all kind of struggling. And I think when, 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 I, when I speak of Judaism, Yisrael means to struggle and wrestle with God. So I think in a, in a certain a certain sense, we're all wrestling with what we want to be, how we fall short at so many times, but how we struggle to, to get where we're at. And sometimes that's wrestling with God, right? Wrestling with our higher selves. It's our lower selves. It's the in-between selves. And I get to do that with other people at this residential addiction treatment center. I, I got to help them navigate. And I think when we're talking about systems of change, I think it starts with the individual, 
right? I believe it starts with the individual. And so I get to help that process and aid that process. That's how I utilize faith flowing from my internal self into other people. Wow. I mean, so I have obviously many questions from that. And I'm super interested because I was raised reformed, you know, reform, I'm a reformed Jew. And so, and you are, are Orthodox, right? Yes. Okay. So number one, you definitely know more than me. We've already talked about that. <laughs> but number two, how was faith healing for you inside and now outside? Okay. So inside, I was anti-religious. I was raised in a nominally Christian home. Nominally meaning we go to church on like, you know, whether it's Xmas, Easter, we sit in the back so we could come in late and leave early without anybody saying anything. So, you know, it was that sort of thing. Right. But and again, though, it was more of a, a cultural thing. Right. And it connects people. Right. You don't need to necessarily believe or be some super staunch believer, so to speak, but it does connect people. So it has, it has that. And it provided that to a certain extent, but I didn't know about it like that. So when I was in prison, I kind of got back away from religion and figured, you know what? It's dogma, these stories, I, it's, it's too much. I'd rather find my own path. And I felt like I felt when I was probably doing the wrong things that I could somehow figure out some novel way of living life in this world. And so that's what I did. And I, and I ran into a reform rabbi in Pelican Bay State Prison, right? I ran into him and I was trying to, you know, grill him, essentially trying to catch him slipping of why he actually believed in religion, like, you know, out of all things, right? He responded in a way that kind of kind of made me think. He said, hey, you know, whether you believe this, you believe that, it's worked for the Jewish people. And if you look at history of the Jewish people, right, like like never-ending persecution, trials and tribulations for thousands of years. But what it did was it kept people as a community, right? It can it, through whatever oppression they faced. And to me, that is the most empirical evidence there is of a source of all being existing, right? Like we could rationalize whatever we want. We can look at a story and say, oh, this is real or not, that's real. And so if I don't believe this, then it's not worth accepting. But this empirical reality, I, I believe, of the Jewish people kind of made me think. And so I started, I started examining Judaism. This is a reformed rabbi. I've spoken with him since I've been released from prison. This started me on my journey of just examining what faith meant in the communal aspect of it, right? So I didn't come in from any the, uh, really uh, dogma or strong belief. If anything, I probably was reformed at that particular moment because I felt like at least with the reform, I was able to still essentially be myself and really be critical of everything, but still having some sort of, uh, some sort of center that connects me to a, a community, right? A community that I didn't necessarily know existed at the time, because again, there's not a, there's not a vibrant, robust Jewish community. If you imagine people converting in prison, it's usually not to Judaism, right? And so, and actually you can't convert to Judaism. There's this, there's, there's uh, ritual things that are not available in prison. So you can't do it in prison. So it's not even an option to fully actualize yourself through that path. That's what kind of started it. So I just started, you know, I'm starting examining it. I'm starting connecting with it. And I ended up transferring. I went down, I was in a level four, a Pelican Bay's a level four, 180 uh, prison. I ended up going to a level three uh, uh, in San Luis Obispo, CMC. And the rabbi there was a reformed rabbi. He ended up making me the Jewish chapel lead clerk. So I was in there. I had all these books. Uh, you know, I was able to connect with Jews that were definitely not religious. Most of them are not religious. And knowing that 
okay, look, we all share this sort of communal aspect of things. Wherever somebody's at in life doesn't mean anything so much. It's how we are finding a way together to grow, to learn, you know, make mistakes and grow and learn, you know? And so I just started, I started understanding what that meant. I didn't grow up with strong community connections. I didn't grow up with that sort of structure of viewing the world and knowing that my brother matters to that, to that extent, right? Whether I know this person or not. And so this kind of, not only did it, it, did it bring that concept to life, it sanctified it. It made it holy. It made it something separate from the regular and something worthwhile of pursuing. So that's how I kind of connected to it and knowing that that existed within prison to a certain extent with the community there. And then knowing that it extended outside of prison and then knowing historically it extended generationally for thousands of years. And now I'm part of that stream. So I think when I, I looked at life, right? I, I don't want to drag out this answer, but I have like free flowing thoughts that just randomly go off in different directions. I remember that I was in prison thinking too that, okay, look it, does my life matter, right? Does living matter? Not like all suicidal or anything like that, but just, I'm just getting very existential of thinking about, about life, right? I'm not in ideal circumstances, right? I'm, I was a teenager. I'm getting out, oh, probably like 40 something by the time I get out, right? With 24 year sentence. I can't do all the stuff that, as you imagine, a 19-year-old dreams of are just, maybe you can't even articulate the hope you have. I'll do something with my life, right? And I could have fun and I could do this and that, but not having that. Then I thought about also, though, there is an awesome privilege of living in America that is not afforded in other countries, right? Or you can be in America and you could be in a position where you just don't have opportunities and you don't have, you just have a rough, hard life. Does that person's life not as an extru- uh, like intrinsically valuable as somebody that has all these different material aspects of things or this freedom? I couldn't look in that person's eyes and say that, no, that their life is not as intrinsically valuable or worthy, worthy as living. And, and that, that's something I came to believe. And so I had to find that meaning and purpose for myself. And I think that's what made faith so important to me. And it wasn't on, again, on some dogma or needing to believe in something. It was the fact that meaning and purpose, I think, is fundamental to human existence. And how do we connect with that? And I believe that faith, that religious framework is our best approximation of doing that. That is incredibly beautiful and powerful. And thinking about, you know, we're wired for connection and you spoke so much about community and the relationships. And then I think about being inside and, you know, that's not encouraged, the community and the relationships and the connections. So, yeah, that is super, super powerful. Thank you. And I, and, and I think I did miss part of your question, which was, how did it extend out when I got out, right? Was that, part, that, that was part of the question, too. And I think it's that community aspect of it, right? I think when we're speaking about faith and, and religion, I mean, I, obviously there's not one place to connect. There's not one particular religion or faith that connects you with the source of all being, right? Because if that source of all being, that energy that flows through all the creation, right? It's on a really physics level, right? That it's infinite and we have different ways to connect to it. But for me, the rabbi, Rabbi Senior, that was from Beth Jacob Congregation Irvine, I wrote him and explained my story. Like, look, I'm trying to convert. This is my life. This is and that. He's like, look, you get out. You have a community for you, right? And, and I'm like, wow, I got a community. Like, I got people that that will accept me. And if you think about it, trying to when you're in jail, you think, okay, I have this stigma, right? I said 24 years, and I think part of what people, a lot of people in jail, 
go back and there's a high recidivism rate is because we have a particular, we have status, we have a sense of uh, being with what we know, right? Getting out and going in what we might call the, the square world, right? We don't have that same self sense of worth uh, or of how to operate in the, that particular environment. So we kind of, a lot of times we'll just shun it. Like, I'm going to go, you know, the homies know, they know me. They know I don't have to explain myself. I don't have to explain my situation. Like, this is, is what it is. But to have a community where I start off by saying, like, look, it, I just did, uh, you know, all these years in prison and this and that. And you know what? I don't even want to minimize whatever I went into jail for, because to me, that was just a tip. That was nothing. Like I did so much stuff, right? I was hardcore in the streets, you know, and I, and I did it with pride. Right. And so to be able to, to have all that with me, but go out into a community, a community and the Orthodox Jewish community, I don't, I don't, I don't know if people fully understand what that means, but we all live, live within walking distance of the shul of the synagogue we're all close in proximity to each other. So it's a community in that sense where you're walking down the street and you see, you know, fellow Jews that believe and orient themselves in life the same way you do through the same heritage, the same way of looking at things, the same way of, of bringing their values into existence. And so I'm getting invited, like on every Friday night, we have Shabbos, with Shabbat, which is like we unplug from all electricity, like there's no work, there's no school, there's no phones, there's nothing, right? So we're walking around and, and every night I was getting invited to somebody's house and I'm getting going into their house and I'm seeing them interact as a family unit, right? To see that this healthy family unit and them embracing me and doing that as a community, I just feel real connected to the community. I had to be responsible of that because I'm representing for the community now. I got people that care about care about me and care about what I'm doing with my life. My actions matter. And so that transition, I think, even the stability of what I've been able to accomplish with, with my bachelor's, my, uh, my master's degree, doctor of social work programs, is because I have that stability from my community. And so when I speak about faith, to me, I speak about community. They're like, they're like synonyms. You know, this is kind of off of maybe some of the questions that we had provided for you. I'm really just curious. You know, you, you mentioned having grown up, even even maybe if it was like surface level in the Christian faith, what pulled you to Judaism? I always heard about Judaism through the lens of other peoples and other religions, right? So you hear about what is Judaism through Christianity or what is Judaism through Islam? And I've read, I've studied the Catholic study Bible. I've read the entire Quran. I studied religion. This is what I did, right? And, but you always heard it from other people's eyes and, you, and I never heard about what is Judaism from Judaism's eyes. So I guess just my general curiosity for, because if you think about it, it got to be a significant God idea if like billions of people, right? If we include Islam, if we include Christianity, came from that particular source, right? That God idea that was entered into the world that didn't exist prior to that and that formulation, it has to be super powerful. And I wanted to connect with that essence. And so I think maybe unconsciously, that's what pulled me to it, that source, wanting to connect with the source. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's where you found it. Yeah. What shifted or what changed that, that narrative for you? Your narrative. You know, having been that, you know, you were you were incarcerated, having been that, you know, you were you were leading your life down a very different path. I would say it wasn't necessarily a quote unquote born again experience. It was a lot of just a lot of thinking. I mean, when you're trapped in a cell, you know, you think a lot. 
And since material acquisition, since regular physical gratification, whatever that gets us through life, which I sometimes call shadows, right? They're shadows if they're not connected to anything meaningful or purposeful. I couldn't attain it. So, and not only that, I also felt that whatever I do, I just, I go hard. I go hard. And so I want to be to the fullest extent possible. And so I looked at it, right? And that's how I was when I was a gangster. That's what I was. I'm not some just random victim of the system, so to speak, right? I was a gangster. I went hard. But then I looked at myself, okay, like, you know what? I'm, I'm in prison. This is, this is my fate. I can accept that. I can accept that with no, you know, this, it is what it is. But I felt like, okay, but there should be an ultimate way of, if you're ready to give your life in a certain sense of something, right? There should be an ultimate cause to give your life to, so to speak, right? Is this it? Is being a gangster, are these values, is this, is th- is this it? And I, and, and I just couldn't, I said, no, because me taking this to the fuller extent, it has me doing things and being in positions that are not something I could, I could teach a kid or I could tell my mother, right? You have to hide so much aspects of, of it. Then I, so I felt like I was living wrong and I, I couldn't sit with it. It might've worked when I was young, right? Or, you know, in the adolescence age, but, you know, as I start, you know, aging in my twenties, like, no, I, I got, I, there has to be something more. So it was gradual. And if you can imagine you live in, you live in an environment that's controlled by gangs and racial politics, right? And you're put in situations, it doesn't matter how much growth you're trying to attain, where at the end of the day, like, look it, if this, if something happens, you're in the vicinity, like it is what it is. That sort of environment, you may have to act. You can't just simply disregard that mentality, right? You're connected to it in some way because it, it governs your reality, your, your way of existence, your mode of being in this world, right? It was just very gradual. I got confident more so in who I was, what I wanted to be. It was a lot of reading. It was, it was sometimes going backwards. You know, like we say at, at the Beit Shuva, like recovery is not linear, right? You know, go this, 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 but long as you continue to make progress. So I got to the space where I'm at. But now off this years of years of deciding with, I can't necessarily do all these other things in life, but I can work on myself. So it was just a years of process that, and I would imagine that, that my family supporting me as far as knowing that I had that, I had a family there would be there for me and Hey, whatever you want to do, do like, we just want the best for you. That kind of gave me a, a foundation as well to, to feel comfortable enough to grow into being who I am today at this point and hopefully who I'm becoming. That's beautiful, man. You know, uh, you, you mentioned reaching that moment where you ask yourself, like, is, is this it? And I think it's it's a blessing that you found that answer. You know, a bunch of homies that are locked up, a bunch of people that come come back out here, they reach that point and they stay there. They accept it. Like, yeah, this is it. A lot of the times, dig themselves deeper. After you put so much years into something, right, whether it's wrong or right, you want to, you get comfortable for one. And also... It's scary changing from that and admitting that, you know what, maybe this isn't the best way. The way, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I haven't been making the best decisions. Maybe maybe I haven't been acting in a way that brings honor to my parents or to my community or to myself or to whoever's cared about me in any particular way, whoever decided to buy me for times when I was in jail for uh, or whatever hardship and to submit that you're wrong. And it's hard for people. Not only that, how do you interact in a world that you don't really 
you're not a part of like that, right? The square world, that's different, right? You, you automatically feel like people are maybe judging you a little bit or you feel like, I remember when I first got out of jail, I feel I had explained even basically like, look it, I've been in jail. I don't know how to, you know, I don't know what's going on. I've been in jail. I've been locked up. I just did 16 years because you feel like you have to explain why you're acting a certain way or why you look at things a certain way because you have this this past, this baggage. So a lot of people say like, I don't know, just chill with the homies. There's no baggage. There's none of that. I'm gonna chill with the homies. It's not only that, I'm not starting off at this low, this low, this low man on the totem pole. I'm an equal with my peers, right? Yeah, at equal or, or a lot of the times you got even some extra clout. Yeah. 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 Why give up extra status, right? Who just voluntarily gives up, you know, status and respect for the unknown? Yeah. Yeah. And I would think that. In the inside too. Actually, someone just told me this. This isn't coming from my own thought process, but someone was telling me this the other day that it was super, he had clout inside. And then when he came out, he had a little bit that he was getting recognized that he was out. And he said, and then it was gone. And he said, now I'm just, you know, a small fish in a big world. And so it would make sense, I would think, to go back to what you know with all the clout and the leadership. I mean, there's, right, there's so much leadership. And my guess is that you, who you are today, I'm, you had these skills then, they were just being used in a different way. They were being fueled differently. And I love like <laughs> your eyes. I mean, I always see your eyes when you're about to like smile. And I think about everything that you said about being on the streets and being a gangster. And, you know, obviously that comes with a lot of trauma. And what you saw, what you experienced inside also. So I'm wondering how, how do you see faith as a response to healing trauma? Over 50% of the people that are, find themselves in jail have experienced some sort of trauma. I don't know if we conceptualize it. The people, like, I never conceptualized it as trauma. Like, I'm, that, that was just life for me, right? Like, you know, and I'm not just talking about, like, traumatic incidents of far as maybe you had something going on, you know, in your family life or something else that happened outside of that. But once any of that sort of trauma happens, if it does or not, then you actively participate in a cycle of trauma, right? Because you're creating more incidents of where trauma is going to more likely happen. You're going to, you're more likely to see violence. You're more likely to see all sorts of stuff that you wouldn't see if you didn't continue to go down this path. And then you go to, you go to jail. Right. And then that's a traumatic experience, whether we choose to conceptualize it as such. Right. It's very takes away what it means to be human. Right. And then sort of the trauma of reacclimating oneself in the world again. Right. That still like reaggravates the trauma that you went through. Right. So all that together, that the faith and healing, I think I think through all that. Right. We create these narratives about ourselves. So when we have this faith base where this meaning and this purpose is connected to our own narrative, connected to our own story, connected to these traumas, we start processing these traumas a little bit differently. We talk about and process it. So when it's re-recorded back into our brain, it's with this extra filter, this extra layer of understanding the trauma. And I think when we add that faith to it, when we understand our trauma, we look at our trauma in a whole nother light and it can get to the point, right, where, we look at that trauma as sort of inspiring, right? It's, it's brought us to this point. It has made us to this, who we are today. And I think faith is just so integral in that part because it can really bring to life the narrative and make that narrative not just mundane, but a narrative transcendent. When I was in prison, I used to say like, all right, you know what? 
all right, I messed up the beginning of my life. Didn't start off too good. But it's all how you end the story, right? All this other stuff is what it is, right? It makes it can make it more compelling, make it more dramatic. What's the end of the story? What's the epilogue? How does it end? And I think faith provides that 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 meaning and the purpose to really fuel that narrative and really redefine and, and reimagine what that trauma meant to the individual. So do you see that? Because I'm thinking also as you're speaking, you know, we're in the midst of COVID still, and there's an uprising and a revolution. Has faith been part of your own sort of like support and just resource during this time out here as well? Well, definitely. And I would say the COVID and even the uprising is kind of like, that's what it basically like it was in jail, right? So it's not even like, I think people, if you've done time, it obviously not being able to connect with people in the same way affects everybody, no matter how tough we think we are. But it gave me, a, a, I guess, a little training to deal with this particular situation, right? You're disconnected. You can't socialize as much as you may want to. There may be uprisings, maybe a lot of uprisings that you're directly threatened by. And so, yeah, and you don't know it's precarious. And I think more so than anything is that you don't know how that next day is going to turn out, right? You don't know how this situation is going to turn out. And so, again, I think that's connected me to my faith in that, okay, you don't know how it's going to turn out. You might not be in the most ideal circumstances, right? But what is the meaning and purpose you can find in it, within it, right? And I think that faith is when you're actualizing, actualizing your faith, your values into every situation and creating that narrative. You're now you're creating COVID-19 and this uprising is now part of your narrative. How do you choose to make it part of your narrative, right? I mean, you could choose to be perhaps a victim or somebody who barely survives out of that, or you could be someone that who, who grows, struggles, and wrestles with God, wrestles with the world, and redefines what it means to be through 2020, through COVID, and through these uprisings. So that's what it's meant to me, at least. And, you know, in this healing, uh, you know, for you, and maybe, maybe I mean, even even some, some of your brothers, some of your boys, some of your homies that, that, uh, you saw were incarcerated with you, you know, however it is that they were finding their healing. How do you see community healing, our community healing as political? It helps. It's an organizing force to articulate what we need to others, right? Because you need a unifying structure. That's what's so good about religion, whatever your religion is, right? You know, the good of the religion, right? Because anything can be corrupted, anything. But the good of the religion is the ability to connect with other individuals, organize with other individuals, and then orient ourselves in the world for what we need to best actualize our values, our needs, our wants, how we envision the world, right? And so I see that as very much political. How do you choose to connect with the political side of it, right? And I can't give a general answer for that, right? Because again, I think for every community, every community has different needs, even if we've come through different different forms of oppression, right? Different communities have felt different forms of oppression, but their response and their needs from that are still different, right? And so part of their culture, part of their faith is, is faith, right? Religion is, is connected to culture, right? And so I feel like that faith and that communal aspect right there is, is what provides the foundation as, as far as connecting on the political level. It's awesome, man. You, you've made it. I mean, your base in all those aspects. I see my connection to community and even 
and again, community is a function of my faith because it's a religious community I'm in as a way of like, okay, this is what matters in the world, right? This is, okay, so what should, what should I care about, right? Like politically, right? What should, what should motivate me, right? Uh, and yeah, so I have my foundation of what matters and knowing what, how a community can be together, right? You know, and, and a, a lot of that is what sort of policies will help me connect with my community deeper, richer, stronger, and in the most healthiest ways. Yeah, I love that. You know, I'm a cultural Jew. When people ask me, I mean, they don't really understand the word reformed, but I'll say I'm a cultural Jew, which is true. I do the rituals. I believe in, you know, family and food, of course. And it's interesting because any political work I've done was through a Jewish organization called Never Again Action. And so that's, you know, when I've done protesting and it's aligned with immigration and the cages and everything else that we had experienced or ancestors had experienced. So then the political piece keeps moving. And that's why I got involved with Never Again Action for that exact reason. But you just said it so beautifully. I'm like, that. yeah, that was why. That was my why. So I'm wondering, as folks are listening and hearing you, what what could you recommend in terms of how folks could start to get involved with their own faith? Because hearing you, it is so, it's beautiful and it's healing. And, you know, maybe people who are just not really sure, like how to get involved or how to start, what would you recommend? It's hard when you're talking about faith, right? How do you recommend people to get attached to the faith that maybe they're not a religious type person, maybe they're not a spiritual type person? Because again, when I speak of faith, I connect it to the religious aspect of it because that's the organizing communal aspect, right? I think we all as individuals have the ability to connect with the source of all being without a religion, to tie that within a communal structure, right? How do you spread that to a family? How do you spread that to the community? And more than that, how do you spread, make that generationally a thing, right? Because communities can't just exist in this particular temporal period. It has to exist generationally. And so to me, that's the religious aspect of it. I would just tell people, look it, and I'm speaking more to myself, so it might not be applicable to everybody. Don't use the excuse of, well, I, I can't believe in this particular story or I can't you know believe in this particular dogma to somehow rationalize your way of understanding that what this is is a structure and it's an proximization of bringing yourself, connecting to this source. And not only that, it allows you to connect with the people around you. And if you feel like you bring something to this table that is more you, is unique and can enhance your faith or en- enhance your, the religious group that you're a part of, bring that to the table. That's how, that's how change occurs. That's how, you know, re- religion evolves to an, a certain extent, right? We don't necessarily practice it and experience in the world the exact same way as a generation or the generation before that. And that's true within Orthodox Judaism, right? I would say connect yourself and understand that don't let that be a, a, a limitation or a barrier to you getting involved with a community, with a faith group. And maybe it's, maybe it's not all the way into you're going to church or synagogue every week, right? But it gives you that base and foundation to understand what community is and the, and, and the importance of faith and community. And then also, do you believe in a source of all being, right? You know, don't have to get theistic or anything like that, but uh, whatever energy keeps everything moving and growing, giving birth, creating, whatever you believe that to be, do you find it worthy of connecting yourself to it, right? Essentially the reason for life, right? And what does that mean? And so what purpose, what meaning behind that? And how are you doing your best to honor that? 
that ultimate meaning and purpose, right? However you choose to articulate it and it resonates with you, what are you doing? And if it's not religion or faith, what have you found that you believe brings you that close to the source of all being? You know, I don't necessarily believe it's going to be a political movement. Political movement can be an expression of that, but that in itself is not going to bring you close as possible to the source of all being or what animates all of existence. I completely agree. And it's funny because I was talking to a friend and she was saying to me, do you go to synagogue or to temple? And I was like, oh no, I don't do that. And I was raised in Indiana. So it was very conservative. It was very, it was focused on the dogma. I wasn't into it ever growing up. And so I told her that and she said, oh no, Susie, there's a lot of social justice Jews. I'm like, oh, that's not what my experience was. And so she invited me to go to temple with her. And it was pretty amazing because the rabbi, Rabbi Susan Goldberg, she's in LA and she's actually the daughter of a mentor of mine. She was detained and in jail for protesting against Muslims being deported. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm all in. That is a rabbi I can definitely go listen to. And so that was my connection. It wasn't like the dogma, the religion, but it was the community and the social justice piece. And it was right as things were starting to escalate, you know, after 2016. For me, you know, that was my pull. And like you said, it was the community. It was the relational piece. It was feeling part of in a world that just felt so disconnected or is beginning to feel like even more disconnected. Just how you present everything is is like poetic justice, really. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, how he speaks is how he writes. It's just, it's so beautiful to read and to hear you. I'm curious, what has it been like to tell your story today and just to be on Our Stories Matter with us? As I anticipated, I appreciate you providing this space, the space I didn't necessarily know existed at least I didn't know what it was, right? What this experience would be. And I think when we're talking about like our stories, right? And, you know, and how they matter, right? Most importantly, I mean, they matter to me because that's what made me who I am, right? And I think a lot of times when we're thinking about our life, we don't bring it all together like that. We may think about different aspects at different times. And so you asking these particular questions and allow me to conceptualize, okay, yeah, this, this is what this meant to me at this particular time in life and now and how it connects. And it helps me be able to get some clarity, more clarity to who I am. And, and if I have more clarity to who I am, I'll be, have more clarity to the relationships that I enter into, whether it's clients, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's, and all that is community, right? I do appreciate this space and I appreciate what all of you do. Thank you so much for taking the time, for being real as usual, for being poetic. And and again, thank you to the Jewish Social Work Caucus at USC Cisandrick Peck School of Social Work for sponsoring this amazing human being that I've been wanting to bring on Our Stories Matter for so long. And yeah, I'm so happy that your, your voice is here with us. Glad to finally to be able to uh, stop by. I've heard a lot about this right and so i'm glad i got to be a part of it thank you thanks for for coming into into this space that Susie helped create with us thank you for having me our stories matter is brought to you by trauma-informed la whose mission is to foster resilient communities that promote healing and well-being through collaboration education and community engagement check us out on facebook and instagram at trauma-informed la 
and our website, traumainformedla.org. Please give us five stars on iTunes so more folks can have access and donate to traumainformedla.org so we can keep recording and healing through our storytelling episodes.